0: We are starting a new sermon series, and I'm calling it The Heart of God because it's an opportunity to look in the scriptures at passages of scripture that help us understand God's heart towards us and towards our world. We're going to be looking at it over the summer, and we're also coordinating our children's ministry. This morning, our family ministry with our children dealt with the same passage in the same text, and so we hope our children learn all of these same lessons and these same stories. This morning's passage is from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and I don't always read the passage, but I'm going to read it this morning, so if you have your scriptures, certainly turn to them or listen as I read from Luke's gospel. We're told that when one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard what Jesus said, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many, and the time came for the banquet, and he sent forth his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first one said, "'I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another one said, "'I bought five yoke of oxen, "'and I have to go examine them. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I've married a wife. "'I cannot come.' "'So the servant came and reported these things to his master, "'and then the master of the house became angry "'and said to his servant, "'Go out quickly to the streets, "'to the lanes in the city, "'and bring in the poor and the crippled "'and the blind and the lame.' "'And the servant said, "'Sir,' What you have commanded has been done, and still there is more room. And so the master then said to the servant, Go then to the highways and to the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Have you ever had an eye exam? Have you ever had to go to the doctor and had your eyes examined? Well, throughout my life, that's been something that I've had to do many times. A few years ago, I woke up one morning and I turned on the television and all of a sudden I noticed my TV was blurry. Now, I had glasses for many years, so assuming that it had happened so quickly because I hadn't noticed it the day before... I thought, I wonder if there's something wrong with my television. I started experimenting around and I discovered that with one eye I could see the TV just fine but with the other one, things were out of focus. In fact, if I covered my one eye I could barely even see it with the other eye. I got concerned and I went to my eye doctor where I get my regular checkup and he explained to me that my astigmatism had simply gotten worse and they needed to change one of my lenses. Now, having got the Glasses fixed, I was fine, and now I can watch my television without any problem. And I thought about all the times throughout my life that I've had my eyes examined, and it started when I was just a little kid. I wasn't even old enough to read. I probably have told the story before that the first exam that I ever had, I went in and The eye doctor had all these cool little pictures up there. There were bunnies, and there were cats, and dogs, and horses, and I had to identify the different ones, and then there were shapes. And I remember when I got older, and all of a sudden now, they put all the letters and the numbers up there, and I asked the eye doctor, could I have those bunnies in those other pictures? And I was told, no, you were too old for them. I wasn't going to get them back. But the point still is that throughout the years, my eyes have been an important part of my everyday health. If I have problems with my eyes, I need to make sure that my glasses are adjusted properly. I've now graduated to that time in my life where I have progressive lenses, so it also takes time. You have to learn the distance and how different things are depending on if I have my head turned up there versus here because the lenses are different on different part of my glasses. Being able to see is essential. It's just something sometimes we sort of take for granted, but it's an essential part of our everyday life. And like me, when all of a sudden there was a problem with my eyes, we really start thinking about it because we start getting concerned. What if I would be losing my eyesight? But you know, there are many ways to see other than just what we see around us. I encourage people this morning outdoors, and I'm going to encourage you the same thing. Go outside today and just look around. Just take a moment and look around. You'll be amazed at things you haven't even noticed before. When you just take time and just look. It could be in your own yard, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't know that was here, or I didn't see that that was over across the street. Because what happens with our vision, we take it so for granted that we fail to see things that are around us all the time. And that's why this morning we have a very simple message. We're talking about learning to see with Jesus' eyes. Not with our own eyes, but with Jesus' eyes. And that's more than just what we see physically, but it's how we see people. It's how we see the needs of this world. It's how we see those who are part of our life. It is the first part of our Heart of God sermon series as we realize that for us to understand God's heart, we need to start seeing things the way God sees them, and that's very different than how you and I see them. We can get discouraged and frustrated with someone. We can feel like we don't even want to necessarily be with them, but they're a beloved child God who God created and God cares about. We can see things that disturb us immensely, and we can almost dismiss people because how can somebody have that attitude and if we look at them with Jesus' eyes, we realize that God loves them and God cares about them and God's working in their life and that's why it's so important that we learn to get along with people who are different from us and learn to understand that God did not make us all the same and there's a wonder and a beauty of that as we learn to view the difference of this world from a different viewpoint You see, we're very limited in how we see others, especially when we see others who are living ways that we don't necessarily agree with. Yet when we grow spiritually, our eyes literally start to open up. As we become more like Christ, we start seeing people from a different perspective, and that's essential in our life, to start viewing everybody a different way. And that's again what our text is about. You see, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath, and he was in the home of some religious leaders. The Bible tells us that he was in the home of a Pharisee and some other people who were big Jewish leaders of the first century. And what happened in that home is what happens a lot of times with us in any experience that we have. We start getting around the people who are most like us, and we somehow think that we're the in crowd, and we start thinking there's something wrong with others who aren't part of our group. That can especially happen in religions. It happened in Jesus' day, and it can happen in our faith today, when somehow we think that it's only just about those of us who gather together, or people who are part of our church, or people who are part of our inner circle. I think back to the time of John Wesley, that one of the things that happened for Wesley is a good friend of his, George Whitfield, came to him and told him how he had started taking the message of the church outside of the church and do outdoor preaching. And what he discovered is that there's a whole lot of people who never came to church, who never felt worthy to come to church, who felt that somehow the church was going to exclude them, and they didn't think that they belonged. In fact, people in the church in in the times of Wesley and the early 18th century we were very prejudiced towards some people because of their economic circumstances. Unfortunately, the same thing can continue to happen today, and people were being excluded. And so Wesley, like his friend George Whitfield, started delivering messages to people out where they lived. And one of the things he started discovering is people started coming, and then more people started coming, and then more people started coming. And, started coming, and at one point... Wesley reported that he would get twenty to 30,000 people who would show up to listen to him preach, all the while in the churches they'd maybe have 100 people who would show up on a Sunday morning. Think about that. Just by viewing the world differently and realizing that we didn't need to wait for everybody to come to us or that we were doing things that were excluding people, the early revivalists in our Methodist heritage got the good news of Christ out to people who otherwise would not have known that they were beloved children of God. Well, Jesus' parable of the wedding feast gives us insight into this whole process of becoming spiritually sighted. Because it begins in our lives when our eyes are closed. And that, unfortunately, is those times in our life or those experiences in our life or that place of spiritual immaturity when we only see what we see and we don't see anything else and that's a tough place if we never get beyond it but that's what we read about in this guy who throws his banquet in jesus chair jesus parable when he said a man once gave a great banquet and he invited many he invited all of his friends he invited everybody he knew he invited everybody in his social circle and he told them all to come to this banquet And at the time for the banquet, he sent out to his servants and he said, Time's ready. Come, for everything is now ready. The man in Jesus' parable really had no sight. In fact, as we hear the story, he didn't even know his friends. He thought that somehow, because he was throwing this banquet, that they were going to want to be there. And that is a lot of what happens for us in our own spiritual life. We keep talking to the same people and to no one else. This was, in fact, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the first century as they only talked to themselves, but this can happen to us also. Maybe we have somebody in our life that there's something that we think that they need to change, and so we talk to them, and we talk to them, and we keep talking to them, and pretty soon it becomes apparent they don't want to hear us say something one more time. And it's important in realizing sometimes that our Spiritual blindness isn't just about inviting others and telling somebody else the good news. Sometimes it's about backing off from people that we know and just kind of leaving them alone and praying for them and realizing that in time God will do his work in people's lives and it's not for us to be manipulating. But also in our spiritual blindness and our inability to see, we can literally miss people who are around us. Because every single day, we come in contact with people who have spiritual needs, who who would love to have a relationship with Christ, who need a deep faith just to get through their everyday life. I was reading an article this last week, and it wasn't in a Christian magazine. It was in a secular magazine, and it talked about what are the things that people can do to quit being so discouraged during the COVID-19 pandemic. And do you know what number one was? Discover their faith. Get involved with the church. Get back to wherever their faith is. So you may know people in your life who are frustrated and, and having a hard time. Do you see that? Are you open to that? It's so easy for us to just miss people who are around us. I remember when we were living in our first home in Lowell. Regina was great about getting to know everybody in the neighborhood, and I had not become so good at that. I'm a very outgoing person, and so in my ministry, and so many places that I would go, I'd be out talking to people, but when I went home, I liked to kind of be home, and now here I'm living in a city with people all over the place, and I started to find out in different ways that I didn't even know the people who were living in my own neighborhood. One time, Regina and I were on the scenic railroad up in North Conway, I don't know if any of you have ever been on it. It starts from North Conway. You go out and you come back. You can have a meal on the on the railway. And when we went by this one place where it was going re, the train was going really slow, Regina looked out, and got all excited, and waved through the window. And she goes, "Look, those are kids from our neighborhood." I go, "Honey, we live in Lowell. We we're like two and a half, three hours away from here. Those aren't kids from our neighborhood." She goes, "Yes, they are. Those are children from our neighborhood." I said, I've never seen those kids before. She said, you don't even know the kids who live in our neighborhood. We came back, and the next week, we were getting in our car, and there were some kids playing out beside the car, and Regina rolled down the window, and she said, where were you guys last week? And the kids spoke up, and they said, oh, we were on vacation in North Conway, New Hampshire. And she turned to me and said, see? Living in my neighborhood were kids I hadn't even taken time to get to know or to even notice to realize they lived there, I had another experience when David was born, and these two nice young high school students, a boy and a girl, ended up being a brother and a sister. Brought a gift to him, knocked on the door, "Hey, Mr. Cushing, we're so excited you had a baby," and they gave us these nice gift. I invited him in, we sat down, we talked. I asked them if they liked to babysit. They told me they did. I said, "I'm sure that we can have you as a babysitter." When they left, I turned to Regina and said, "Who are they?" And she said, that's a brother and sister who grew up exactly across the street the last eight years that we've been living here. You see, it's easy to just stop noticing people, to just get focused on who we focus on, to talk to who we talk to, and realize that once we get to that place, we're literally being spiritually blind to the needs of others and people who are around us. I was at a conference when I first moved here to Lowell, And they challenged us as pastors. They said, pastors, you always tell your congregation to invite people to church and to get to know your neighbors. Do you do the same yourself? And so I took it as a challenge to start doing that. And it was interesting. By the time I wrote my sermon this week, when I got to this point, I realized this week alone I've invited three people to come to Faith Community Church. Because when I talk to people, I try to get to know them, and I try to tell them about our congregation, and tell them about this ministry, invite them, and let them know that, hey, I think you could check it out. You might enjoy our Lawn chair Church service. It's kind of different. We sit out in the parking lot, and we have a nice time. Do we see people? Do we see their needs? Do we miss it when we keep saying the same thing to the same person, and they're just not listening to us and not wanting us to say something anymore that we learn to back off? Are our eyes closed? Or are we doing what we said at the beginning of this year when we said, pray for three people, invite two people, and bring one? Who are the three people you're praying for? We should always have people in our life and in our hearts that we're praying for. They're praying, God, work in this person's life. You see, our world needs Jesus. And there are people who have all kinds of spiritual needs in their life and all kinds of things that are problematic in their life. Are we willing to see it and to see the needs that people have and to see the concerns that our neighbors have? Not, it's not just about inviting somebody to church or telling them about our faith. It's about doing a kind act and helping someone and teaching our children to look to the needs of others so that they start seeing problems that other people have so that they become sensitive to others. Because as we grow, we begin to see. Once we start maturing in our faith and once we're not just self-absorbed and thinking about ourselves, we start discovering we live in really exciting times with all kinds of people who have all kinds of needs all around us. And anybody who says they don't know their purpose in life, it's easy. Your purpose in life is to be a servant and to love and to serve others and to reach out and to be kind and to be hospitable and to be caring and to do some simple act that you may be amazed how important that act is in somebody else's life. Verse 18. they all began to make excuses, Jesus said. The first one said, I bought a field. I must go and see it. Another one says, I bought five oxen. I must go examine them third one said, I've gotten married. I can't come to the banquet. Yes, the man started to realize his friendships really weren't that deep, nor were people really interested in the things that he was trying to talk to them about. In fact, so little did he know his friends or his supposed friends who he was inviting to this banquet that the first one said, oh, I've got a field I need to go check. That's sort of like somebody saying to you, If you said, you know, I'm throwing a party at my house next Saturday and I'd like you to come over. And they say, oh, I think I need to go to Boston to check if my office is locked that day. The next guy says to him, oh, I need to go check out my oxen. That's sort of like somebody saying, oh, yeah, I'd like to go to dinner with you, but I might have to go check my tire pressure. I, th- I haven't done that for a while. I'm going to go down to the service station and see if I can put some air in my tires. And of course, to the person who's married, bring your wife or bring your husband. There's no reason why if this banquet is being thrown and your friend is married, you certainly invite the entire family. But the point is, the guy doesn't even know those around him. And we get so smug in our thinking that we think we know everybody around us and we think we know people in our inner circle. Have we really gotten to know them? Have we really built deep relationships with them? Do we really know what's going on in their life? For all these people had excuses. We've had those moments in life when we start seeing how people really are. Sometimes it's we're talking to to someone that we, like I said earlier, we sort of keep, trying to tell them something they need to do. And finally, all of a sudden, at once, we realize they aren't interested in listening to us and we need to accept that fact. We're just going to burn a bridge and burn it right down and not have a relationship with this person if we just keep going on. Or other times, maybe there's somebody that has really been somebody that we weren't very comfortable with until we took time to get to know them and we start discovering things in their life as to why they are the way that they are, and as we get to know them and love them with Christ's love, all of a sudden a person who formerly was difficult for us becomes a lot easier for us to love and get to know as we just hear their story and just listen to them and just pay attention to them. Back when I was in college, I went to a Bible college, and one of the things that I like to do, I maybe wasn't great at getting to know my neighbors, but I always have been a talker, And I discovered that I could go downtown Fort Wayne, Indiana, and there was a little park, and I could start talking to people about Christ, and I would start finding people who actually were interested and wanted to go to church, and I started inviting people to church, and I had two churches in Fort Wayne. One was a Baptist church, and one was a Pentecostal church. And I, certain people I'd invite to this inner-city inner city Pentecostal church and to this other, to this more kind of suburban Baptist church. And one, I'd invite them on Sunday morning, and the other, and I'd invite them on Sunday evening. And I started finding that people would talk to me. And I started getting people that I'd start taking to church. And so I thought, this is kind of neat. And we're at a Bible college. while studying to be pastors. Maybe I could find some friends who would go do the same thing with me. So I started inviting some of my friends at college to do it. And none of them wanted anything to do with it. They're like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And they all had excuses for why this was a bad time for them. One guy, however, always wanted to go with me. He was always interested. He was always open to it. And I remember him one time saying to me, you know, I need to learn to be more comfortable in sharing my faith with others. Anytime you go, always invite me and I'll go with you. What's fascinating is my friend now serves a church of over 5,000 people, a church that he started, because he learned to comfortably see the needs of others, realize who people were, talk to others who maybe were different than himself. And that's really what our text is about, seeing the world through Jesus' eyes, seeing the needs of others as they really are, learning to be able to be spiritually sensitive to people and knowing when to invite somebody and learning to know when know when to back off because when we become mature our eyes are completely open verses 21 through 23 the servant comes back and reports all these things to his master and the master of the house becomes angry and then he says to his servant okay Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said to him, We've done what you've commanded, and still there's room. And so the master said, Go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. All of a sudden the guy who wants to throw the party, who realizes that he doesn't really know his friends, he doesn't really know his inner circle, he doesn't really know anything about the people, all of a sudden sees the world differently and sees a whole new group of people to befriend. And he says, let's go anywhere, any place that there's a negative social stigma, any place that there was anyone who was unclean according to Old Testament law. The person's eyes were literally spiritually open. And this person started to realize, now that I see, now that I see what's going on, now I see people different, I know I can talk to and befriend everyone. Yes, when we begin to grow spiritually, we see things through Jesus' eyes. We befriend those who are open to us and often those who are different than us. We start realizing that even like in the story with Jesus or with the time of John Wesley, that it's important for us to get out of our comfort zone and say, God, where all do you want me to go to get to know others? You may have heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's a pretty prominent church in New York City. It has over 16,000 members today. But it wasn't always that way. A young pastor named Jim Simbla, who graduated from the University of Rhode Island, and he was quite a um, basketball player and an athlete and a very brilliant young man, had a call to ministry. And he knew that God was calling him to be a pastor, but the only church that wanted him was a little tiny church in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Tabernacle that had about 20 people in attendance. It had gone through some problems and some divisions, and no one seemed to want to be the pastor there. And so he talked to those who were older and spiritually wise and mentors in his life, and they encouraged him to take the church. Today, that church has over 16,000 people. It has a very amazing multicultural sense to it. It helps people who live on the streets. It deals with drug addicts. It takes people who have been in prison and gives them an opportunity after prison. And they built an amazing music ministry. This little church that nobody wanted has won three Grammy Awards because of their choir, because of the amazing work that they've done. Think about that. Jim Cimbala just chose to view the world differently. If you, instead of being the young, hotshot pastor that wanted the great church, he took the church that nobody else wanted in the place that nobody else wanted, and God opened his eyes to people and realized that ministry can happen everywhere, and that's really what the question is for you and me today. It's not just about telling people about Christ and inviting people into our faith. It's about how we live our life. How do you view others? How open are you to people who are different than you? How willing are you to have your eyes open so that perhaps there's times when we need to back off from what we're talking to people and sometimes we just need to get to know people better because if somebody really bothers us and there's something we really don't like about them, does that mean we really don't know them well enough to understand where they're coming from and why they view the world the way they do and can we learn to love the way Jesus loves? One of the things I love most about our church is how different we all are from each other. I said something to Regina one day about disagreeing with me, and she said, you know, honey, if you and I were the same, there wouldn't be any need for one of us. And that's looking at this world through Jesus' eyes. We need people who have different ideas from us. We need people who view the world differently than us. We need to be able to see the world in a different way. We need to realize that sometimes we've just said too much and we need to back off. And we also need to realize that there are people who are open to Christ and open to his church and open to the gospel, and they're just waiting for us to befriend them and invite them. And so as we close our message and before our worship team comes forward... I remind you that that is why this morning in the story of the banquet we are also a people who receives from the table of our savior because jesus himself didn't only give us a parable of a banquet he gave us the very essence of the banquet when he invited us to participate in a meal that he has given to us and on the very night in which jesus died he took bread And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. And then the scripture tells us that when the supper was over, he took the cup and he shared this cup with his friends. And he said, drink this, all of you, for this represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many. And now today we realize as we come or stay at home or wherever we are and we receive from Christ's table, that we are thankful to be part of God's family. But it's important for us to realize that that invitation is to everyone, and so it becomes incumbent upon you and me as a body of Christ to reach out and to love others unconditionally as we view them, not through our own limited thinking and through our own foggy eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us see this world a different way. Help us to understand that Your love is immense and great beyond anything that we can comprehend. Help us to view the needs of others and perhaps those who we find annoying. Help us to ask why and ask if we need to learn to get to know them better. Help us with those who we've come across too strong to to love unconditionally and to learn to back off. And in all situations, help us to love the way Christ loves and start to see others the way you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.